Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. You know, a lot of people know poodle pointers. Some tend to be talkers, and I, I love that trait in them. Poodle pointers are a very happy dog. They're a very engaging dog. They want to be part of your life. Our dogs are all in the house with us. They're part of the family. We don't have kids, so, you know, it's all about the dogs. Have you ever shot a bird that just keeps on flying, and you're standing there saying, I swear I hit that bird? Well, good news. Maybe it might not be you, but rather your shotgun. Go check out UplandGunCompany.com and construct the perfect shotgun that is not only built to your exact physical specifications, but your preferred looks as well. To some people, a shotgun not only has to perform, but look good while doing it also. Upland Gun Company has made this process super convenient and surprisingly affordable when you consider all of the completely customizable features. Get your shotgun order submitted today so you're standing there with your dog saying fetch rather than standing there still saying I couldn't have missed that bird. No two hunters approach the field the exact same way. That's why it's nice to have a vest that can be completely customized to fit your specific needs. Final Rise creates high-functioning upland gear that delivers comfort and balance that assists you chasing wild birds in wild places. The vest's unique lumbar pad and weight-bearing waist belt makes it too easy to keep going to the next horizon. Add in any of the awesome and functional accessories for the vest along with their new tactical apparel and you'll be outfitted with a complete setup that was proudly sourced and sewn right here in the USA. Check out FinalRise.com to order yours today. Alright everybody, welcome back to another week of GDIY. This week we are covering everything Poodle Pointers with Alicia Baird of NAPS, the North American Poodle Pointers pointer society i'm sure i'll stumble over that name a number of times tonight alicia thanks for joining us and uh, making time for us tonight hey thanks for having me glad to be here yes yeah. yeah so go ahead and let's do a, a quick little intro and uh so you know just introduce us to you and what got you into the dog world and more specifically kind of lead us on the path to the poodle pointers a little bit of background about me i grew up in uh the northwest coast of oregon in Seaside, very close to Astoria, everybody seems to know the Goonies reference, so I always use that. But um, uh, so yeah, grew up hunting with my brother and my dad, generally bigger game, elk and deer. Um, and then uh, met my husband on the Coast Guard Cutter Steadfast uh, when we were both in our 20s. And he's from Boston, Massachusetts. And so when we started talking about getting married, I said, you know, hey, you, you're married into a hunting family, kind of how do you feel about that? <laughs> Luckily he embraced it. So, um, we, we were, do, we do a lot of hunting together and it's just kind of been our thing ever since. So, um, and he came home one day and, uh, 
said, you know, I'm, I'm really tired of fetching my own ducks. I want to get a bird dog. <laughs> and we had a boxer at the time. And, and I, you know, I kind of said, well, that's fine. I'm never going to say no to a dog because I grew up with dogs and horses and cats and everything else. And um, so we, we, long story short, landed on the poodle pointer. Um, I originally thought they were one of the ugliest dogs I'd ever seen. But <laughs> then when I met, uh, when I met more, I was like, okay, these dogs are actually really cool. This is, this is good. And so now I've learned to love the bearded face and, and the, yeah, the fuzzy head and all that good stuff. So did you find the poodle pointer or did your husband? No, he actually, a guy that he worked with, another pilot, uh, said, Hey, cause he, he had just gotten a Springer Spaniel and he, I think it was gun dog magazine, actually something like that when the poodle pointer was on the cover or, or he had seen a TV show. I can't remember exactly, but, um, he said, Hey, you might want to check these dogs out. Cause one of the things you know, I said, I don't want to be vacuuming the house all the typical female. Yeah, I don't want to yeah. be vacuuming the house all the time. I really like that our boxer has short hair, but you know, no offense to the GSP people out there. I love GSPs, but I just couldn't handle that kind of crazy in my life because I work full time as well as a CPA. And so, you know, um, so we, yeah, we just kind of landed there. Um, but yeah, his friend said, Hey, uh, you know, there's this dog. Why don't you check it out? And so he checked it out. And what ended up happening is we learned because we were stationed in North Bend, Oregon at the time. And we learned that Bodo Winterhelt lived a half an hour south of us in Bandon. And so my husband was like, hey, the guy that brought the poodle pointer into the United States lives a half an hour from us. You know, let's go meet this guy. And, and we did. And he's every bit as much of a flirt as everyone says he is. <laughs> um, wonderful, wonderful man. Uh, just a really great guy. We only got to meet him that one time, but we had a really fun afternoon with him. And he taught us a lot about the dog and we got to see his dogs and so that was a really great experience. Um, and yeah, we just, we just kind of went from there and ended up finding, finding our first poodle pointer and deciding to breed and just, yeah. just kind of went. Just so. fell in and went down the rabbit hole and. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. I wish, I wish I got to meet Bodo cause I, I know that he, like you said, his, his reputation, like you yes. could fill up numerous podcasts with all the stories I, I you know i wish i knew him personally and then i could kind of compile a bunch of stories from everybody because he just sounds like he was just a nut yeah he you know it was so funny because we we drive up we're like okay i think this is the right place there's you know we can hear dogs barking in the kennel and whatnot and he had a big barn where he housed all the dogs and um you know we drove up and we got out of the car and he just kind of said this perfunctory hi to my husband and walked over and took me by the arm and just arm in arm escorted me around. And <laughs> <laughs> Sounds know, about right. Yeah. He was wonderful. Yeah. So. And didn't scare you off the poodle pointer, obviously, because no, no, fast, no. fast forward to today, here you are going yeah. strong. So, so you get the first poodle pointer. I, I got to ask what, uh, what, what did you find ugly about the dog or, or not even ugly is probably a, a, an unfair word, but maybe not attractive, unattractive. Um, <laughs> it, I you know, some of them just have that super scruffy, messy look. I mean, some of them are, you know, now that I've been around these dogs for years, they're beautiful to me. Yeah. Um, and you have that, you know, really nice, beautiful tight coat and then the nice little poof head. But, you know, the first picture of a poodle pointer I saw, it was, you know, it was just this, I, mean, I think it was a, a shorter coated dog 
tighter coated dog with just like a, a beard, but not a poof. And it was a very, it was a female dog, but it was a very masculine face on the dog. Okay. And so the very first picture I saw just to me was, was definitely a poodle pointer, but not representative because the rest of the breed is just, I mean, they vary so much in, in look. Yeah. And so that very first picture, I was like, what is this dog? You know, you know, just kind of a mousy brown coat and that kind of thing. And, but yes, then obviously you meet more and more and more of these dogs and they are beautiful and they have a very different look about them, you know, individually. And yeah. yeah. Well, we're, we're definitely going to go down that rabbit hole here soon and, and the appearance. And like you said, it's, it's such a wide variance and, and, uh, the appearance. And, uh, obviously we're going to talk about that here soon, but I got to ask you, you get the poodle pointer, uh, because your husband's sick of retrieving his own ducks is, uh, is that primarily what got you, uh, involved with the poodle pointers or did you just kind of expand from the duck hunting? Did you go into upland or deer tracking or anything like that? Well, we have the farm in Tillamook. So uh, my dad grew up on a dairy farm in Tillamook, um, 300 acres. It's like basically half tree farm, half um, lowland and upland fields. We've got an upper field and lower field. In the in the winter, the field floods, the lower field floods. And so it's great duck hunting. Yeah. And so we, you know, we took Callie and we went duck hunting and we were doing the NAVDA training and did the, got, you know, her 112 NA, um, and mostly doing duck hunting on the Oregon coast. And then as we were training for NAVDA, obviously there were uh, several preserves in the area. So that's really where we started in Upland because I grew up hunting deer and elk. I didn't, my dad had no interest in really hunting birds when I was growing up. So Mike was actually the one that got us into that, my husband. Um, and so we, we really kind of started the Upland hunting as training for Callie getting ready for her natural ability test. Um, and then let's see from Oregon, we moved to Mobile, Alabama, and then we did a trip to Kansas that year to do, we did some quail. We did some, I think we did quail and pheasant. And then we also from Kansas, we went to Texas and did, goose but we didn't do that with the dogs that was with a with an outfitter um and then i think the next year we went to iowa and hunted iowa for pheasant and i think the year after that we did north dakota so we just every year we try to make a big trip depending on where we're located because i mean mobile alabama we've been to we were stationed in maryland and washington dc and then we were back in oregon and now we're in virginia so, you know, we just try to make do with what we can in, in the areas that we're in. So you, you've really kind of lived all over with this dog and done a whole bunch of stuff oh, yeah. and, and you have, yeah. a, you kind of have a typical and, and relatable story to a lot of people that get into this dog world, you know, they get these dogs for one, one purpose maybe, or one goal. And then they get introduced to a testing system such as NAVDA. And right. next thing you know, they're hooked, they're going to preserves, they're doing these annual trips. And, uh, most people don't have the fortune to, uh, do multiple trips. You know, they, they really bank on the one big upland trip every year. So it, it's, it's kind of indicative of how the, the progression goes for a lot of people, right? You know, it's just like, just get a dog for retrieving the occasional duck. And then you want to test, and then you want to do a preserve. And then it's like, all right, I want the real thing. Let's go for the real thing. 
Yeah, well, and it's fun, too, because, you know, we move around the country all over the place, so we get exposed to different hunting situations in Oregon. You know, I'd go up in the up on the logging roads with my dad and, you know, we'd get quail or we'd go grouse hunting and, you know, then you're over in Eastern Oregon and you can go chucker hunting and, and also grouse hunting and, and then you're on the East Coast and you do more quail and, you know, and then you take that pheasant trip here and there and you do duck hunting when, you know, when you have the opportunity. So it's really fun to move around and get to do all these different, hunt all these different birds and, and make all these different trips. So we enjoy it. That was one dog that really kind of started that whole journey for you. How many, how many dogs since then have you had? How many, and I'm assuming they're all poodle, po- poodle pointer. See, there you go. I'm going to fumble over that name every time. <laughs> uh, have they all been poodle pointers or have you kind of mixed in other breeds along the way? No. Uh, so the first dog we got when we got married, uh, was a boxer and then we got the poodle pointer and it's been poodle pointer ever since. Gotcha. So, um, so yeah, we got Callie and then we, we bred Callie and we kept Ava. Um, and then we purchased Ebony and then we inherited Zeta or were gifted Zeta, however you want to look at it. And we got Zeta so that we could have Katie. So we got Katie and, and then we also purchased Stella in 2020. So we actually, we only have, we've had six, but we only have four because we did lose Callie and Ava young to various health issues. So, um, so we're down to four. So. It, is it health issues related to the breed perhaps, you know, or was it just kind of freak, freak stuff? Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, based on conversations with vets, some parts of it could potentially be hereditary, but there's just not enough research out there to know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe, maybe not. Callie, uh, we actually, I think was very much a product of grain-free food, not one of the grain-free foods that are listed on the bad list, but you know, she had a heart murmur and I think that contributed to the, you know, cause she did die of heart failure and we were feeding grade free food, but, but I'm not an expert. I don't know. Yeah. We did have a necropsy done, um, to tell us enough that it was her heart that failed, she, you know, and she was six years old. And then Ava, we actually lost to lymphoma just last year. Mm, sorry. So two totally unrelated things. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And I was just, yeah. I was just being nosy with us kind of about to do a deep dive on poodle pointers. I figured that'd be a nice, uh, kick off into, you know, some of the more common traits or, or challenges within the breed. But yeah. uh, so, so you've had a handful of these poodle pointers. So you do have a good point of reference or, or at least a decent sample size of, you know, at least you, some, some commonalities between dogs, mm-hmm. right? You know, c- mm-hmm. kind of give me your general overview of the poodle pointer as you see it, kind of their mannerisms, you know, characteristics. And then, then I actually want to get into naps and the actual like real standards, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, so our dogs have always really kind of run the gamut personality wise. Um, Callie, our first was huge personality. I mean, we, that dog was so fun. She, she was a talker as you know, a lot of people know poodle pointers. Some tend to be talkers and I, I love that trait in them. She was a happy, always such a happy dog. And and for the most part, you know, you really poodle pointers are a very happy dog. They're a very engaging dog. They want to be part of your life. 
Um, they're to me, they're not a dog that I, you know, have be an outdoor dog or a, a kennel dog. Um, but that's me personally. Our dogs are all in the house with us. They're part of the family. We don't have kids. So, you know, it's all about the dogs. Um, but very, very engaging personality, super fast learner, very eager to please, very trainable dogs. This is one of those things to where it's like, yeah, there's so much good, obviously. That's why you keep going back yeah. to the breed and you're not changing. What, what have been some of the uh, lesser characteristics maybe you don't like about them? You know, generally speaking, this is a very healthy breed. Um, you don't see, you know, we did have, uh, you know, Ava who we lost of lymphoma. She actually was a little bit of a, a little bit of a mess, but she did have hip dysplasia. We didn't ever breed her, but she was a phenomenal hunting dog and just great personality as well. But she had hip dysplasia. So we kept her, we didn't breed her. She was my hunting partner because Mike had Callie and I, I'm like, well, I want my own dog to hunt with now. So I just, I will keep Ava. Um, and then, you know, she died of lymphoma, which you know, in talking to a specialist, because we did go through the chemotherapy for a year to give, give us an extra year with her and give her an extra year. And because we, we were able to do that. I know not a lot of people are, but we were in a position to do that. Um, and in talking to her specialist and her oncologist, there is a suspected hereditary possibility there. But again, there's just not enough science. There's not enough history. There's not enough background. So you can't really say, yes, you know, this is, this is what it is. Yeah. It's um, still ultimately just a suspicion or, or at least an right. educated guess, perhaps, but there was no right. finality that it was a genetic issue. Well, right. And I mean, there, I have learned of other poodle pointers who have died of lymphoma and I've learned of other poodle pointers who have died of heart failure, but are those all connected? I, you know, there's no telling. Yeah. Yeah, there's really no way to know right now. Um, so, but generally speaking, again, this is this is a pretty healthy breed. You don't see these big consistencies or these, you know, you know, lines that you know have certain problems. I mean, you just don't really see that. Yeah, you know, in this breed right now, you know, down the road, who knows? I mean, this is still a very young breed in the United States, in my opinion. There's not very many of them out there compared to your say wire hairs and short hairs and labs and retrievers and all that stuff. Um, so, you know, we just want to be really careful. Yeah, absolutely. And, and are you, are you familiar enough uh, to speak on the history of the poodle pointers, like when they came and, and how long they've been here and, and just some of the, the, I don't know, set the stage for kind of like where we are today with the breed. Are you familiar enough with that to speak on it? A little bit. So I, I do know that Bodo brought them to the United States via uh, Canada in 1956. I do know that the breed was technically essentially begun um, in the the 18 late 1800s. I want to say what I what I generally tell people is there is this article for Project Upland. The great article on the history of the Poodle Pointer, I always recommend it because I think it speaks to the history of the Poodle Pointer very well. It was written by Craig Koshuk, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's called The Poodle Pointer, A Complete Versatile Dog History and Profile. Excellent, excellent article. And so really when I'm when I really want to get in depth about the history of the breed, I generally refer to that article. But yes, they 
you know, a breed that was developed using the German poodle and the English pointer. My understanding is the German poodle no longer exists. Uh, developed in the late-ish 1800s, brought to the United States in 1956 by Bodo Winterhalt. Um, you know, that's, you know, when people ask me about the breed, that's basically the, the rough history that I give them. I don't go in depth very much if, if they don't ask, so. Well, and I have a note down to put a link to that article in the, in the show notes of this for those people that are interested. Uh, and if I miss that, you know, someone always calls me out. I'll, I, I miss a few of those, like, I'll throw that in the show notes. And they're like, you didn't do it? I'm like, okay, my bad. Here it is. Yeah, it's it's really a well-written article, I think. Yeah, I, I believe I've read it, too, uh, when it came out. And Craig, you can't go wrong with Craig uh, talking about any of these breeds. I mean, yeah. Anyway, um, so let's move on to NAPS. Where, you know, where did NAPS kind of come out of? You know, when was it formed? Who started it? What was kind of the the purpose of it coming out of the gates? So conceptually, NAPS was started in 2018 by a group of breeders who basically saw a need. Number one, there was no, I want to say, breed club for the larger population in North America. There were organizations that were more for breeders, more geared towards breeders. There were organizations for a very small population of poodle pointers in North America. But the goal that we had was to create a breed club that really was open to everyone in North America with a poodle pointer um, and to represent everyone in North America with a poodle pointer if they so chose to be part of North American Poodle Pointer Society organization. Okay. So, and part of that was to develop a North American standard. So we have a breed standard. Um, we do have breeding requirements, uh, but it was really to be an inclusive group, not just for breeders and breeder benefit, but for the benefit of everyone who owns a poodle pointer. Um, one of the key things in the poodle pointer society is every member gets a vote. And so when, when people want to make change in this organization, um, you have to make a motion and it's voted on by the entirety of the membership. And we allow time to argue that motion or, you know, debate it, whatever, and, and promote it. But really it comes down to what our membership wants. Does our membership want to make these changes for the breed or does our membership not want to make these changes for the breed? So everybody who's a member really does have a voice in this, which we think is really important to the future of the Poodle Pointer. So, so you're not acting like what a lot of breed clubs is, has nothing to do with poodle pointers or any other breed in particular, but a lot of breeds is kind of like you hire or hire, you vote in a, uh, an officer or mm -hmm. executive council or whatever. And then those guys usually kind of have say or voting rights. This one, you guys are just taking that out and yeah. everybody gets a vote if you're an active member. Yeah. Pretty much. Okay. Um, we that's, do have a board of directors. We do have a seven person board of directors. Um, but really we, we want, we want people to be engaged. We want people who care about the breed to be engaged with the breed if they want to help make change. So, you know, that's, that's kind of how we operate. Um, and we're an entirely volunteer organization with the exception of, we do pay a, a, 
a team to help us out with the website. We try to keep it up ourselves as much as possible, but we do have a team that we can use as backup if we need it. Y'all's website is very impressive because obviously, oh, you know, you. coming coming on on this uh, to record, you know, I, I'm looking at the website. I'm trying to do some homework, kind of figure out, map it out where I want to go with this. And uh, honestly, that th- there there was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you, you got you guys had a lot. And I'm like, you know, I. I'm just going to get on there and, and we're going to have a conversation about poodle pointers. Cause I'm looking at that. I'm like, all right, you know, I, we don't have enough time to break down all the breed standards or breed requirements or anything like that. Uh, but the voting issue seemed to be like, that's a very prominent feature in, in what you guys are, because I have been a member of organizations or chapters of organizations to where it does get frustrating when you have a great idea or, or a suggested change and then uh-huh. nobody wants to discuss it. They're always like, well, run for a position next year and then maybe you can bring it and propose it or something like that. It's like, well, why can't we just discuss it? When, you know, can we not just do that? Yeah. Um, and, and I will say one thing. So when it comes to the voting, the voting is very specifically for um, to change the, the breed standard, to change any of the breeding requirements, basically any of our um, not really legal documents, bylaws. Right? the bylaws, the breeding requirements, the breed standard. And uh, we developed a code of ethics. And I, I believe that would fall under, you know, membership change as well. Now, the board, the board's purpose is to develop programs to um, continue with the mission and to meet the mission and to meet the purpose of the Poodle Pointer. So we've developed several programs as a board, but we're not we're developing those programs around the standard, the requirements, um, the bylaws and that kind of thing. So to try to continue that goal. Yeah. And so do the programs, and I'm really diving this deep uh, in on this, honestly, because this kind of is applicable to all breeds. This is not just poodle pointers, like just overall the the benefits of some of the breed clubs. And, and you know, some breed clubs are better than others, uh, you know, depending on which breed and which club we're talking about. Uh, each one has kind of a different flavor, different bylaws, different organization. You know, one is not always right for the other person and so on and so forth. But like when you say programs, is that is that just kind of a, a process or procedure to kind of, I don't know, for, for the breeding requirements? For me, if I want to breed my poodle pointer, you know, that's the program I follow. Or do you guys kind of have like a, a breed warden, so to speak, or somebody that has oversight of these things? So what we've developed as far as breeders go is uh, what we call the breeders program right now. Super fancy name. Right. Um, <laughs> to the point. Yeah, uh, we, we do have a committee, a three-person committee on that breeders program. And what what it is, is any member who is a breeder or wants to be a breeder, I suppose, can fill out an application and provide documentation that shows that the dogs that they are breeding meet the breeding requirements and the breed standard. That documentation is reviewed by the committee. And the committee proposes to the board, hey, we had this applicant, we reviewed the documentation, we recommend approval. The board has the freedom to ask any questions they want to kind of verify anything or, you know, have conversation. They can, you know, they can reach out or, or whatever they want. But ultimately, you know, the board will approve or disapprove that breeder. I mean, so far, we haven't had any breeder that we haven't approved because we're very clear about, you know, what the requirements are and what you submit. 
Um, so that's the breeders program. And that comes, you know, to the breeders that want to be involved in that, that comes with a, a set of benefits to those breeders. Um, advertising of course is one, as far as we, we can advertise for them in the newsletter, we can advertise for them on our Facebook and Instagram pages. And, and we, we as a breeder community in NAPS are very close knit. We, um, do a lot of word of mouth for people. You know, if we don't have puppies, we'll, you know, recommend somebody else that, you know, has puppies. Um, we have a breeders list on our website that has, you know, obviously a list of our breeders, but then those, each of those breeders has their own individual page on their website where they can give us as much information about their kennel as they want to. And we're, we're actually right now we're working on building that out um, more. We were like, Hey, this is your place to really brag about yourself and your dog and your accomplishments and all that stuff. So we're, we're getting, we're going to start making some changes to that and adding more information to individual breeder pages. Um, we also provide education for our breeders and we have a mentorship program. So we're getting a lot of newer breeders that are just starting out. And so, you know, we have a document library that has contracts and articles and, and health information. We have a, a whelping phone tree so that if they're having their first or second litter and something happens, you know, like I had a runt once and, and I had never had a runt before and he wouldn't latch and I, you know, and he wouldn't latch and he wouldn't latch. And so I made a phone call and got this great information on how to make a sugar solution as kind of a glucose bump and, and it worked beautifully and I firmly believe it saved his life. And so, you know, having that network of people that you can go to and talk to, um, we also have a breeder roundtable discussion that we're, we're doing the third Wednesday of even numbered months because on odd number months we do the member roundtable, but, um, where breeders can just get together and, you know, we usually pick a couple of topics to talk about and just kind of, what's going on with the breed? What are, you know, what do we want to do? Where do we want to see it go? How can we help? Um, so we really try to have a, a good tight knit uh, group of breeders there and it's, it's working really well. And I, I think we're doing them a really well, a really good service. So that's one program. It, that that's really interesting because ultimately when I, when I'm talking to you and anybody else that I know within NAPS, uh, that's the number one thing that they keep bringing up is the community the community around poodle pointers I'm very and, you know, you big about community right and and you hear all the time from other organizations i mean this isn't just breed clubs this is everything where people talk about we're about community and then you get involved and it's like there's really not a whole lot of community here but the the friends that i know within the organization it really seems like you guys have a very active community you just said that every month y'all are having a zoom room whether it's with the breeders or just the members in general then the live events the live events that y'all have been doing and having planned to, to meet up you know you don't hear a, a lot of uh, people in other breed clubs talking about, oh, I went and, you know, did a training day in, you know, middle of nowhere last month just for a breed club. Uh, it happens, you know, usually it's like a fun trial or something, but uh, I think you guys just did a uh, duck search seminar, if I'm remember remembering correctly or something like that. Uh, it was a natural ability clinic actually in Ohio. And okay. We had a we had a really good turnout and it was a really great day. It was just, you know, and and, and we do right now we have all those events open to members and non-members just because we want to get people together. I mean, we we just want to get poodle pointer owners together and 
and networking and talking and, and learning. And so we had a really great turnout. It was a lot of fun. It's a beautiful day. And, you know, we're trying to have, because we, we put out a survey a couple of years ago to our membership at the time and, you know, said, Hey, what do you want? What do you want us to do for you? And the two big things that came out was more training opportunity and more, you know, more in-person opportunity and more, um, more health information on the breed. And so we're, you know, we've tried to, we need to do another survey, honestly, and see where we're at now, but we've, we've tried to take that and, and have that be our goal and have that be our roadmap as we've kind of um, developed the organization. And, and we want to be an inclusive organization. We want to build that community and have that communication and, and network of, of people. Um, yeah, as far as the events go, we, we, so we started out with the, um, what's now the actual annual uh, Pat Saunders Memorial Fun Run. The third Tuesday of every odd month, we do the member roundtables, except for next month, because that would be during Invitational. And so we're going to, um, Jeff and I are actually going to Invitational just to, you know, say hi and support people. There you go. Well, and if people are interested in the, in the uh, meetings, you know, I'm sure if they join the program or at least go to your website, then the dates and notifications and all that stuff come up. Uh, and, and real quick, before I forget later on, I'm, uh, just in case, what is the website? So if people are curious oh, yeah. right now to look it up. So it's uh, poodlepointersociety.org. Let's go back to the breeding requirements and everything, it's, because that is one thing that I noticed right off the bat again when I looked at the website is it's like right off the bat. It's like one of the first tabs is find a puppy or find the right breeder. I can't remember the exact words that it said. And then everything else was the breed. And it's like it gives you a list of quality breeders and what makes breeders qual- uh, quality. Are you talking about the puppy buyer's guide? Yes. yes. Yeah. The the puppy buyer's guide and then, you know, and then just you go one one tab over and then you got all the information on the breed. Like you said, it's very clear cut, concise. You don't ha- you probably don't have a lot of people wasting their time to put in to be approved because it's like it, it's very clear. It's a checklist. It's like, OK, got that, got that, got that. Uh, so. I want to talk about that because it seems like that is a very big piece. You've already talked about it, but like when when we're talking about growing the poodle pointer and the breed standards, where did those breed standards originally derive from, right? Or did you know is there an overall governing body of the of the breed that you guys took the standards from? I guess is what I'm getting at. So when we developed this, the group of breeders that came together were all at the time. Um, breeders involved in the North American Poodle Pointer Alliance. And, you know, that was a breeder organization. And so we came together and we said, hey, we need to make an organization for for Poodle Pointer owners. And, you know, the Poodle Pointer population as a whole. So everybody, including breeders, including owners. And we even have members that don't even have a Poodle Pointer because they're looking for a Poodle Pointer. Um, so when we were trying to decide, you know, what do we do? We just basically took the breed standard and the breeding requirements that were listed on the North American Poodle Pointer Alliance website and, and migrated those over. And then we said, okay, so here, here's our starting point. This is where we're going to start. And then our membership, as we go on and as we develop and grow, our membership will make the changes they want to see to these requirements and these standards. Does that make sense? It does. It does. 
so so y'all didn't just start from scratch. Y'all started from the same point just for I mean, continuity. We discussed and- making changes, and I, uh, you know, we we kind of discussed what do we want to have for specific disqualifications and this and that. But really, I think the the end product was was largely what you know we started with, and then you know again leaving it to the membership in the future to add or or remove disqualifiers or make changes you know as the breed goes into the future really and and how has that been so far have you had a bunch of people like bring up you know responsible uh suggestions or or matters to vote on have have you had a bunch of people i'm just kind of curious you leave you leave decisions like that up to a bigger group of people, you can kind of get the best of both worlds there. It's just like, all right, that's a, that's actually a pretty good idea. Or you look over here and it's like, you know, that, that's kind of a horrible idea. But I guess, you know, when everybody's voting, uh, you know, it, it, it should kind of self-correct maybe. We try to, when, so we have, we have a, a period, we have a deadline and that deadline is, I believe, December first, I want to say, um, get your motion in. And so then between the time that it's due and the annual meeting, when we vote, we say, Hey, now is your time to socialize that motion. Now is your time to talk to people about it. Now is your time to promote it. If you really want to see it pass. Um, and we try to stress, they need to be well-written. They need to be well thought out. They need to be easily articulated. Um, and you need to have a good argument. Because you're trying to convince an entire membership to make this change that you want. And we have had people make motions. And so far, I don't believe any motions to change the breeding or the breed standard or the breeding requirements has actually passed. Um, And it just depends on what the membership as a whole wants and how hard the person that wants to make that change really works to convince people that we need to make it that needs change to be changed. Yeah. It's working as it should, mm-hmm. because that, that was the thing that popped up in my head is like, okay, you give the, the, uh, the power to the inmates to say, Hey, this is a breed requirement. It, it could get real interesting really fast, but you just said not a single one has passed. So like, it's going to be a, a pretty substantial, uh, obviously, uh, change for it to pass. It sounds yeah. like. Yeah. Right now, the ones that have passed have been cleaning up the bylaws that generally board members have have looked at the bylaws and said, ah, we should probably make a change here, make a change there. And, and those pass pretty easily because they kind of make sense. So let's go back to what we were kind of getting at earlier, the physical attributes of the poodle pointer, because they're... You know, the, this is the breed standards, the breed requirements, kind of what we're, we're already talking about. Uh, you you said yourself there is a wide array of differences within the breed as there is most breeds generally speaking uh kind of briefly describe what the standard is of it you know what's the typical size for male and female you know the the furnishings all that fun stuff kind of break that down for us generally we say 24 to 27 inches at the withers for for males and 22 to 25 inches at the withers or the shoulder for females. Um, And weight would be 45 to 75 pounds, no specification, male or female. I mean, I 
I've never seen a 75 pound female, but they might be out there. And I mean, there are some males that are bigger than 75 right. pounds. I, we've got one that, that it comes from our kennel that ended up, he topped out at like 95 pounds or something. He was a big boy. So talk to me about that. Talk, talk to me about a dog that is outside the norm. You know, it, when you talk about a 95, is there a waiver, you know, who, it, or is that just dog just getting turned down if it's applied to breed? You know, I don't, I don't think so. I, you know, this is a, to me, the North American standard for the poodle pointer is a good overall general description of what the dog should be. But I mean, you look at the coat and color and the coat says coat dense and hard, rather tight to the body with a fine woolly undercoat can be brown or black or dead leaf in color you know, minimal white permitted, such as a blaze on the chest and or white feet, uh, top coat length of 1.5 inches at the withers is an ideal medium length by its density and harshness. The coat should provide a good, as good protection as possible against weather and injuries. Now you think about poodle pointers you've seen out there. How many poodle pointers have you seen that do not match that exact description? I mean, you got half. the woolly bears. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got dogs without furnishings. You got, you know, you even have some poodle pointers that have large amounts of white on them. Um, you know, and I think that's kind of personally for me, that's the fun part of the breed. I, I like seeing the tighter coat with the poof. I like seeing the fuzzy dogs um quality coat is probably a little bit more important i think quality density i mean there's you know you don't want an open soft coat really because that's function really what we're looking at is functionality of the dog in the field right um you know you're you're gonna have less protection of the dog if you have a soft open coat and if you have that nice tight you know with the with the dense undercoat um, but is it a hard and fast rule right now for the North American Poodle Pointer? I don't really think so. I mean, and people might disagree with me and that's fine, but these dogs are so varied. And I do know that there are breeders out there that are trying to breed a more uniform looking dog. And that's great. That's fine. Um, but we're just, we're not there. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is, like I said, this is more of a general appearance of the dog. Are you going to have dogs outside that? Yeah. Not very many, probably. Yeah. Most people kind of go for the general goal. So, yeah. Yeah. I was just wondering how that works, if, you know, with that being one of the things on the checklist and applying and, and the panel. I guess that's what that three person panel uh, or committee really kind of weighs out and decides on. Yeah. And we do have them submit photos of their dogs. Um, you know, just so we can, you know, like I, I don't know that we would accept a dog with massive patches of white that, that looked as a breeding dog, you know, um, a dog that looked like a, a German wire hair, for instance, you know, we probably would not accept that, um, because it's not really what the coat should look like that. Yeah. That's more what yeah. a German wire hair looks yeah. like. Um, and, and, you know, you, you did ask earlier about a breed warden. We don't have a breed warden and we're not looking to have a breed. Warden you just got, you guys right have now. that committee that just can't, you know, yeah. kind of approve or, you know, yay or nay, you know, go yep. or no go. Uh, yep. what about testing requirements? What, you know, is it, is it just the test, you know, is it 
talk to me about that. What are the testing requirements for the organization to get approved for breeding? Yes. So um, the females have to get a 105 or higher in a natural ability test. And the males have to prize in a utility test to be breeding. So pretty, pretty basic. Yeah, I was about to say, it's kind of typical. Pretty straightforward, I should say. What what do you think about the, this is off topic, this doesn't have anything to do with NAP specific, but your personal belief on uh, females uh, requiring lesser of a test requirement, because this is common through multiple clubs. This isn't just a NAPS thing. Yeah, so um, there is a faction out there, a group of people that really want to see more utility testing going on, and some specifically want to see utility tested females to be required to be a requirement for for breeding um one of the things and that, that's actually one of the motions that has been presented in naps that that did not pass okay was a requirement for females to be utility tested um and and i actually a while back one of the things that i had as a pet project for about you know 10 years now is a, a data database of my own. It's more of an Excel spreadsheet where I can run pivot tables and whatnot. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to look at this and I'm going to pull all the, you know, breeding age females. And I had some parameters and whatnot. And I'm going to pull all the breeding age females that have utility tested. And I'm going to pull all the breeding age females that have been natural ability tested. Do Because the, the thing that it boils down to is, do you want to utility test females to make better handlers and by theory, better breeders because they've handled a dog in a utility test. And that is a great experience. I've done it twice now and and I want to do it again, obviously. And we try to utility test all our females if it works out. And then there's the people that think by requiring a utility test on a female, that's going to produce better puppies. And I actually ran the numbers and there's no statistical evidence at that point, which I think I did this a year or so ago, that a utility tested female actually produces better performance in the offspring than NA tested females. So there was really no argument in it as a result of that research that said, yeah, if you utility test the females and make that a requirement of breeding, you're going to create better dogs. But I'm happy that more people are utility testing their females because that gives us more data into the future. And we're going to continue to track this and see if that changes over time. Because I think more people are utility testing females and are utility testing dogs. And NAPS actually encourages that. That's one of, you know, the one of the first roundtables we had for our members was about natural ability. And we, Andy Doke was a, a guest speaker and was phenomenal in answering people's questions about the test and how it works. And it went so well, we're just naturally going to move into a three-part series on utility testing for our members to teach them about utility testing and you know, answer their questions and motivate them because we do think it's important for people to utility test their dogs because A, it gives them a, a better hunting partner and B, it makes them a better dog handler. And so that's that's where we're looking at it right now. But as far as making better dogs, the data doesn't show that yet. And I'm very interested to see where that data goes in the future. Yeah. And, and the data might eventually show that, hey, utility tested females make a better dog. And then that, you know, then things might start to change. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, 
just just we don't have to go too in detail i don't i don't need the grids or or the formulas or anything it, i'm just curious did you pull that information from like the navda progeny test report you know what how did we come up with yeah. that uh, so um i have a yeah so it's basically i have a database of all navda registered poodle pointers that i've created over the years and all test scores i'm missing a few i'm almost finished with it and almost up to date but i've got back through 2021 test scores i believe or maybe 2020 um anyway um we we took a population of basically breeding age dogs at the time that we did this and we took all their progeny scores and we averaged the average natural ability score of the puppies produced by NA only dogs against the average natural ability score of the utility tested female progeny. Okay. And how'd they stack up? Like, I mean, were they like dead on or was there just a small difference one way or the other? There was a small difference and the, the NA tested puppies, um, actually had the higher average. Really? So the puppies out of... Just not by much. Yeah, yeah it's small, small, but, but it's very interesting. Like you said, you're not done, but it, that's that's a really substantial or interesting statistic there. And I'd, I'd be yeah. interested to see this when you, when you get a chance to wrap that up, whenever that is. I got to get the 2021-2022 stuff organized, and then I'm almost done with all the back history, clear back to 1969 or 1965. So that we can, because one of the other things that we're really building right now is um, statistical stuff that we can present to our members and have on the website that just kind of tells you generally about the poodle, how many litters are produced a year, how many dogs are being tested in various tests, what the average test scores are. And we're even going to be able to break it down as far as the different test areas, like duck search, uh, nose, you know, all that stuff, because we've got that data and we're going to start being able to to use that to kind of make an analysis of the breed, uh, which is fun. I love it. You're a, you're a data junkie like me. It sounds like it, it sounds am. like you're a CPA or something. Yeah, so, you know, as we start kind of wrapping this up, kind of tell me what's what's next for NAPS. You said that you guys are trying to organize or, or bring together a lot of the stats. What what's next for NAPS? You have any big news or anything you guys are headed for in the coming year or two? Events-wise, our annual meeting is going to be April 15th, 16th, 2023 at Elk Ridge Hunt Club in Ohio. Um, so we're looking forward to that. And we're going to, we're looking at doing a blood tracking clinic because it's kind of a two-day thing with the meeting on for a couple of hours on Sunday. Um, we're going to try to do a blood tracking clinic. We might do a confirmation clinic. Uh, we're going to do the, incorporate the third annual Pat Saunders fun run. Um, we have a a Kyle Huff clinic on the books for May, June of next year, which we're trying to get, cause we want to make, we're trying to get out into different areas. Lately we've been kind of Florida and Ohio because that's where we've got connections, but we're trying to do Kyle Huff uh, in Oregon. So we're working to, to make that happen. Is that, is that his steadiness clinic, force fetch, duck search? He kind of does a clinic for everything. <laughs> yeah. So we haven't decided. It's going to depend on the grounds that are available, okay. whether we're going to do the duck search, force fetch, or the steadiness backing. Okay. So we're, we're still up in the air there, but we really are trying to get, you know, 
an event in the Pacific Northwest and kind of on the Western part of the country, just to kind of, you know, again, bring people together, create that community, you know, and, and offer this up. Um, we actually just recently signed paperwork. We are now a new breed club affiliate with Embark. Okay. Some huge benefits there as far as the health of the breed into the future. Um, but that's really going to be a long-term project, but we do have a page for Embark on our website and it has our affiliate link. So if you're interested in DNA testing your dog, you can go there and get a discount on DNA test kits. I, I was just about to say, so genetics, that's, that's a whole podcast in of itself, yeah, but, <laughs> but I guarantee you somebody's like Embark. What, what is that? Kind of give a, a quick synopsis of what Embark is. Yeah. Embark's the leading DNA testing, uh, company, I guess, if you will, in the United States. And they have developed a lot of different DNA tests for various breeds to help. Um, they make better breeding decisions as far as, you know, because there's a lot of health issues in a lot of breeds and they've been able to develop research studies and, and um, genetic markers that will help breeders make better pairing decisions based on the potential outcome of the offspring and whether they run a, a bigger or, or lesser risk of certain health issues. And it's, you know, obviously, like I said earlier, there's not a lot of health problems in the breed right now, but who knows what's going to happen in the future. And we feel it's very important to start building that database now so that if something happens in the future, we already have the information in place for them to do the research to help us curb it before it gets out of here. Right. So we're really excited about that. Again, that may, that makes a lot of sense to the data nerds, but it, again, what you just said, long term, you know, it, that it's not going to give the breed any answers today of what's happened, you know, the past 20 years. It, this is like you got to build a sample size, you got to wait some time to really start being able to get some results back and hopefully you can kind of red flag an issue before it turns into an issue. Yeah, I think one of the shorter term things that people might be able to use it for, like our kennel is going to start DNA testing all our puppies before they leave so that we have a full like DNA study, little mini study in our own kennel. And I think a lot of people might be able to use it. Those that are trying to kind of make that uniform coat and furnishings and stuff. There's a lot of coat data already available. And that test, I don't, I don't know how many different coat variations that test results show, but you know, you might be able to start seeing patterns within your own lines that would help develop that specific coat that you're looking for. So that might be a shorter term thing that individual breeders can look at for their purposes. Um, but we're looking more at the long-term um, benefits of the health aspect of the breed. Yeah. And like, like you said, if you don't start that now, then it may just never get done because usually stuff like that, when people bring it up, it's like, man, I wish we'd have done this 30 years ago. Uh, granted this, yeah, we still have a song yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, granted this is, this is probably newer technology or newer process, you know, in recent times and wasn't available, but it, it, stuff like that, that's a huge benefit, I think, to a breed club. And, and again, bigger picture thinking, because, you know, that's something that if a breeder was just to try and do that on their own, you know, it's probably going to be pretty expensive and, and, and probably just not ideal overall, but you kind of come together again. There's that community, there's the breeders, there's the members. It, it kind of feeds itself. And with everybody on the same page, you can get there a lot quicker with that sample size. 
Yeah. And, you know, surprisingly, they only need, like, they just did a study, I think they said with Dobermans, and there was only like 250 dogs in the study. 250. So you don't need a massive yeah. population. To oh, there, there's 250 poodle pointer listeners listening right now. Go, just go, go submit the DNA test. Why not? You know, it's not going to hurt anything. Go knock it out. Uh, anything else coming down the pipe you want to plug and, and t- speak on? You know, just as far as future goals of the program, you know, we are looking at, at you know, the benefits of a youth program of some sort to, to get kids involved and, and to start doing some, some youth events potentially. Um, we always can use more volunteers. We are a volunteer organization. We have a seven person board right now, three, three member breeders program committee. Um, but really to make this stuff work, um, we need help. We need volunteers. And, and if somebody wants to have an event in their region, reach out, like we'll help. We, you know, we'll sponsor it. We'll help. We, we love to, you know, travel around and meet people. Um, really just to continue to develop programs and to continue to do the best we can for our members and to, to really kind of promote the poodle pointer into the future and, and continue that health and continue that temperament and just all the things we love about the poodle pointer. Yeah. There's a reason why you've owned so many of them and, and all my friends own it. And, and Alicia, again, thanks for coming on and talking about this. I know the friends down here in this region with the poodle pointers, they're, they're extremely passionate. Uh, They're extremely engaged. And, uh, you know, again, this is, this is one example of, of a breed club. There's plenty out there. Every breed has their own. Every breed usually has a handful of them, especially if you start getting into the the smaller local organizations and breed, uh, breed clubs, uh, just find the, find the right one. Because like you said, there, there are clear benefits to getting involved. Uh, I get asked on a regular basis by a listener. Uh, they're always asking about where do I find this breed? How can I find a good breeder? And like last week, I just got asked for a small month. I'm like, I go, go to the SMCNA small monster club, club of North America. Uh, and then there's a German side of that, the KLMNA. It's just like, you start going into all these crazy, abbreviations and every breed's got them but ultimately at the end of the day it comes back to the what you said at the very start of this group of passionate people that just love their dogs and they want to share what they love about their individual breeds yeah and you know one thing that i will say if you're looking for a poodle pointer right now go look at the puppy buyer's guide i mean and we're we're always revising it like right now there's a lot of scams out there and, and they're directed at the poodle pointer. So we're in the process of revising the puppy buyer's guide all the time to help people make good decisions and find good breeders because there's a lot of breeders out there and some of them are really good and some of them unfortunately aren't. And you really what I like to tell people is you need to find the right breeder for you depending on your needs and desires in a dog and then find a breeder that that can accommodate that. But But we really try with that document to help people avoid problems. And so I really recommend, you know, just taking a look at it and, and, you know, kind of taking what you can get from it as far as your search for a dog. Cause that's really what it's there for is to help you get the best dog you can. Exactly. And that, that's something we all want, whether it's a poodle pointer, setter, lab, it doesn't matter. Just get the right dog from the right source 
And uh, Alicia, again, thanks for coming on. I really enjoyed the the conversation about poodle pointers and uh, just breed clubs overall. Well, thanks for having me. This was uh, this was my first. Podcast, hey, knocked so. it out. You did great. <laughs> well, we'll have to have you back on. Maybe get a couple of my crazy friends down here with the poodle pointers on, and and we, awesome. and we can do a deeper dive. But uh, again, thanks. Yeah, it'd be fun. yeah thanks, and uh, we'll talk soon. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right. Hope everybody enjoyed that conversation with Alicia Baird covering poodle pointers and naps specifically. Uh, I had a lot of fun kind of diving deeper into the into the breed a little bit because it's it is growing in popularity and they're they're just cool dogs. after we got done recording, Alicia did send me a message. She uh, was policing herself, and she she realized she had said something that she wanted to make clear or or put out a correction uh, in the episode. She said that Naps did use uh, the Napa breeding standards as a start, but that was incorrect. That she said, however, while they do did use the Napa breeding requirements as a starting point, they actually used the German FCI standard as a starting point for the development of the breed standard. So there you go. That uh, you know, fun conversation. I appreciate that correction by her. She caught that uh, pretty big distinguishment to you know from breeding requirements to breed standards. Uh, but uh, you know, hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. I I did because. I get I get a lot of requests for episodes and and over the years I've had a lot of requests for uh, poodle pointers and and just episodes on poodle pointers and I also get a lot of requests talking about breed clubs overall you know the pros cons to it is it worth it is it not uh, whatever and so this one kind of knocked out both of them you know two two birds with one st- uh, stone so to speak and yeah it, breed clubs are. They're not for everybody, you know. It. I. I recommend getting involved in your breed club. I recommend following, you know, the advice. But, you know, there are some breeds with multiple uh, breed clubs. You know, poodle pointers, one of them. Uh, German short hairs. I mean, there's breed clubs all over for that. But I mean, whether it's the, uh, you know, the G- GSPCA for the German short hair, SMCNA for the small monster. You know, pick all all your letters and alphabet soups. Uh, just go look at them and, and see if it's a right fit for you. You know, like Alicia was talking about, they, they really prioritize events and, and engagement from their members. So maybe that's something that you're interested in. Uh, maybe you want one that's a little less involved. Who knows? Everybody has their purposes. But the point is, is, you know, invest in the breeds. You know, you bought the breeds. Maybe it's a little more time to learn a little bit more about them, be a little bit more engaged. Uh, that's something I can do better on my part, too. You know, having two different breeds. Uh, you know, I, I probably don't keep up with it as well as I should. But uh, yeah, so just take that for whatever it's worth. You know, maybe it's appealing to you. Maybe it's not. But either way, you know, the breeding standards and, and requirements, no matter what breed you are, uh, goes a long way in producing future generations of the dogs that we we uh, care about, that we want to go hunting with and train with and, and, and all that fun stuff. But uh, moving on, um, 
I just wanted to highlight everybody real quick. It's hunting season. You guys need to be double checking all your gear and your equipment and everything. Uh, I literally, I'm leaving on a trip next week. So I, I unpacked the first aid kit. I unpacked all my gear just to kind of see what I needed and, and refills, you know, the, those first aid kits, you think you may have only used a little bit here and there over the, over the last season or year or whatever. Uh, it's amazing how many things that you need to replace on a pretty regular, uh, basis, you know, things go out of date and everything. So, uh, I, I realized I was short on a few items just yesterday. And so, uh, I went and looked and everybody, if y'all are in the market for something that you need right now, you know, go at, go to Standing Stone Supply. GDIY is a code for 10% off your first order, and uh, that'll save you a little bit of money. So hopefully that goes a long way. Uh, let's see, what other housekeeping? The um, Patreon, if you really if you enjoy this podcast and you want to support it, uh, please consider joining Patreon. You can find it at patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself. Uh, you know, we are getting more active with that. We have the monthly bonus episode, the profiles. I'm, I'm really trying to, uh, video record and throw that, those up there as well. If that's, if early access to the profiles appeal to you, uh, we, we have a few discount codes up there, just like the ones that we have for our shop. If you want to go buy a GDIY hat and, and uh, sticker, whatever, but you get a sticker for free for joining Patreon. So just another reason to check that out. Also, um, I, I wanted to throw out again, first responders, they get a discount for our shop as well. Whether you're a Patreon or not, feel free to hit me up and I will get, get you a code if you are interested in a hat. Uh, really that's it that's all i've got i have let's close it out with the review of the week real quick uh this review is from old goats rn august 9th uh five stars for best of the bird dog podcast appreciate that i had no idea what navda was just a few months ago my wife and i are now hooked thanks for taking the time you guys are awesome appreciate that old goat uh if you're hearing this Shoot us a message, gundogyourself at gmail.com or social media, whatever. Let me know that I read your review of the week, and I will be happy to get a hat and sticker sent your way. With that, I think I rambled on long enough. Thanks, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this week, and please remember to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss next week's episode. It's a good one. We'll talk to you then. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high grade lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. 
Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.